You're listening to the Forest School Podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Sutherden. Hello listeners, happy winter times, solstice and Christmas and any other kind of downtime or celebrating that you might be doing at this time of year. Um, We've just finished having a wonderful conversation with Chris Holland all about storytelling and we've known Chris for a while now. He is a forest school leader, outdoor educator, storyteller, musician who we have crossed paths with many times and we began our discussion by talking of course about what forest school is um the sort of question that comes up again and again and again um then we spoke with chris about how he got to a place of storytelling both as a human and in forest school we spoke with him about how he chooses stories what kinds of stories he prefers to tell we also spoke about just going for it with storytelling how you begin to tell stories and why it's important. We talked about storytelling in the winter and about the practical considerations of that, about keeping warm and keeping active and how to engage your group. And then we moved on to the sort of spiritual aspects of it as well. Chris told us a story halfway through, which is wonderful, all about a rabbit and her tail. So prepare to be transported through a a short story that he told us today. And then it all got very deep about what it means to be human and some stuff about religion and things. So enjoy, strap in and have a wonderful winter break if you are getting some time to hunker down and recoup your energy. Okay, here we go. Oh, I, I do have to say, Chris, there's a thing, there's, so just to uh, sort of let you in on how far your influence has gone, if there's an overwhelming feeling in the morning, sometimes Gemma and I'd be like, do you getting ready to do like a morning circle? Yeah. And we'll just, and we'll be like stretching about and kind of going like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And if anyone sort of stretches their arms out in a big frame like this, a sort of a slightly unintentionally, like a bit of a Pavlov thing. Yeah. If someone goes like this, Gemma and I would go, I am awake, which is a song that um, people listening, Chris Chris taught us a, a song when we went on his storytelling course, and it just lives in my brain now of like in good. the morning. I am yeah. Awake. Oh, really good. And they and all the kids look at us like we're absolutely insane, and that makes us sing more. It's really yeah. enjoyable. Excellent. Do you get the drum out as well? Ever? Or do you just sing it? Not at the same time for that song, I don't think. No. Ah, maybe we should just, I think maybe that should be a bit of a New Year's resolution, Lewis, that we should just go for it every mm. day. Just As sing if, that song until if, it becomes normal. If there are two people that don't need permission to, like, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's you two. <laughs> just plough on through. Already yeah. off off the wonky spectrum. Yeah. But Chris, well, it's so good to hear that it goes around this, you know, it's spread off around the world. Yeah. Different places. Yeah. Mm. But Chris, yeah. we're, we're not here to talk about singing. We're here to talk about sort oh. of the, the other facet, or one of the other facets of the things that you do, which is storytelling. Mm. Um, and we particularly wanted to pick your brain about like winter storytelling mm. um, because, well, I think it's a little bit different to that summer hazy, oh, it's so lovely to sit, you know, you can sit very still and people can just be in the, whereas winter has got all these other challenges and all these other, and benefits, mm. but that makes storytelling a bit different. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So is it worth maybe sort of talking about your 
work and how you ended up doing forest school and storytelling like how have you arrived at this version of chris holland yeah well how did i get to this storytelling kind of using storytelling in my work and outdoor work stuff like that yeah um so i think it partly started at a festival in Sussex which I, I was playing music at, at with my band my band the band I used to play in called Jabberwocky I used to play um uh this kind of medieval pixie trance somebody <laughs> described wow. it as. I, hear I like to think it had a kind of you know a world music vibe in it as well um and after one of our gigs we I went into this chai tent and um I just ended up listening to this guy who'd come back from, um, I think it might have been kibbutz working in Israel, but he had this story that he was telling about the land is not yours to own. And I just listened to that story and I thought, bloody hell, this summarises so much in terms of uh, conflict between peoples um ways of handling conflict in a sort of humorous way um the deep thing that's set in humans about needing to own stuff and we're part of the land it's not like we own the land and uh so i just i love that story as a way of delivering that whole multiple messages in one go and i thought i want to be like him one day and so after that, I'd sort of another thread or another route or another sort of branch into the wholeness of, of like Chris Holland as he is now, is the, is the didgeridoo um, playing. And so when I was doing didgeridoo workshops a few years after that, again, I bumped into um, an Aboriginal didgeridoo player who was in this country and he said to me, well, you know how uh, what happened the first time a didgeridoo was or a yidiki was played? Because one of the words for because um, didgeridoo isn't actually an Aboriginal word. It's an English word. And so he used the word yidiki. And he said, you know how yidikis came to be or what happened the first time one was played? I was like, uh, no, got no idea. So he told me this story about how. Uh, when it was one a log was first played by a creator spirit the the termites came out of the log and went up into the sky and became the milky milky way i was like oh wicked i just love this sense of wonder uh, that came from that story and having done environmental science and coming upon joseph cornell uh he was into developing this heart connection with nature and also the knew the importance of wonder and the kind of wonderment in education. Um, and so storytelling is a really important part of helping create that sense of wonder and connection to the natural world. And it's from kind of from those two roots that I've brought in storytelling into my work as a forest school leader um and which becoming a forest school leader came like years later after i'd found out about storytelling and didgeridoo playing um i just realized i wanted to be some kind of 
outdoor educator you know how do you sum up what a forest school leader does to other people it's quite a difficult thing isn't it oh yeah somebody yeah. asked me about that today i was talking to um someone who was saying like oh is, is this what you've always wanted to do then is this because it just seems like it's like it is i think because i've seen this so as a parent of someone that comes to the woods but our children are friends and it's always going sort of seeing them socially not just in like a work role and i think they were kind of going oh, you are exactly the same person here and here. And so she was going, this is just, it's, this is, it seems like it's just you. And I was like, it, it, it is, but it's only here now. And I was just saying to Gemma, I've just done so much reflecting of like, uh, I think when I started for a school, I was down the like bushcraft didactic. I'm going to be one of those, yeah, you know, which is fine. You know, the world needs those. Yeah. And then uh, if I look at it now, I think I'm approaching the, wonky end we've made a child-led community that is as egalitarian as we can make it and all of those things and mm. I think that's the one of the challenges and you know, Gemma and I we've talked about before of like encapsulating what forest school is because it's such a broad church yeah and it's all valid yeah really is Gemma yeah. what were you gonna say um, I was going to say that I was having this discussion yesterday as well and um, and I found myself saying when in the woods, I'm just me. I'm just me. And there happen to be some like smaller or younger humans that I'm there with. And I'm just me in the woods and they're there mm. too. Mm. And that in my previous career as a teacher, that wasn't the case. Like I was a version of me, but it was a, it was a role that I stepped into and performed and did. And I really enjoyed doing it. And again, yeah. there's no, nothing wrong with that. Again, I think I, I genuinely think to help a lot of children and, and it was enjoyable. It was really rewarding. But now this is completely different because I'm just I'm just being me in mm. in the woods. And it I think it takes quite a long time to get used to that, especially if you are someone who's been through. If you're talking about education, I mean, if you're someone who's been through the school system and then you end up working in it, all of those kind of rhythms and patterns and expectations are so ingrained in you. That I think mm. then shifting to forest school. I'm sure people listening to this sort of will it'll resonate with them in terms of that journey you know and I think it probably never ends you know if we if we, the three of us spoke in another 10 years we'd probably have entirely different responses about what forest school is and what yeah. we see as our role as forest school leaders right it's yeah. it's going to evolve constantly there is something there though isn't there about that idea of um uh it being a like teaching for a lot of us starting as a performance as a role and then it gradually moving into this like it's just an, you know, it just is me. It's part of my whole thing. I don't know if you guys will, but that speaks to my storytelling journey massively. Like uh-huh. when I first started storytelling, Chris, but like you, I'd seen some storytelling done uh, to groups of children. And like, you know, that difference between someone telling a story and someone being a storyteller. And I saw a good storyteller um, actually when I was at university and I was like, I am, 21 and you have me absolutely wrapped and this yeah. is it and so then when I tried to do that it was like a performance role to begin mm-hmm. with mm. and it and it needed like a cloak and it needed I need to like prepare this and I need to really and like I'm all I'm not all the way there now because I still need my coat as a bit of a crutch and I've got a stick that I enjoy but it's definitely a lot more of a like I just wear different clothes and I'm still telling a story as Lewis mm-hmm yeah that's so true you know I just, it was making me think back to my degree too and how my main lecturer John Bull was a 
I did environmental science and he did this kind of, he was amazing at taking us out into the landscape and just showing us, helping us visualize how the landscape came to be, mm-hmm. you know, over millions of years. Amazing. And that, you know, in a way, that's a, a massive storytelling skill, as well as, you know, somebody dressing up in a cloak and telling a story about wizards, for example. Because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking again of how, um, in my journey of becoming a, an outdoor educator, I spent quite a bit of time working with Chris Salisbury at Wildwise. Um, I'd sort of already done the bushcrafty stuff, like a bit like you, you know, um, but with a guy called Thomas Shawcon in Sussex. And he would do less formal storytelling around the fire, um, which was just lovely to hit these kind of old stories of his teacher and his teacher's teacher and things like that. Whereas with Chris Salisbury, it was, again, it was another, it was quite a theatrical role. And we'd have storytelling in the evening gathered around the fire. And as you say, in the summer, it's this kind of lazy, dreamy sort of thing that is just kind of relaxed and everybody's chilled and you can have hot chocolate and marshmallows at intervals. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, by the way, that seems to be the main function of a fire, isn't it? For lots of people, it's like it's for cooking marshmallows on. It's not for sitting around listening to stories. Um, But yeah, the, the thing of the fire being a focal place often for where the stories come out and there's, being around that fire there's loads of different ways of storytelling if you're a forest school leader um and i think yeah everybody has their own different way of telling stories and it's as humans we've been doing this for millions of years well maybe not millions but certainly hundreds of thousands of years using storytelling to tell where larders are to where what the dangers are to help us remember kind of different kinds of wisdom and each person does that in a different way and a bit like nowadays you you know there seems to be so much importance on on a badge or um some kind of piece of paper that says that you are a storyteller or you are an educator actually um storytelling is something that's just totally intrinsic in being a human and uh, i'm i'm excited in the way about the way in a forest school setting people can just do their storytelling kind of in their own way. And it's quite a nice, gentle place to become a storyteller. If you've got, you know, not the balls, that's the wrong word, but just the, if you can step over that threshold of your fear into sort of putting on your storyteller's cloak or your jacket or holding your stick or whatever it is that helps you become a storyteller, then um, it's a great place to try it out. I think I love that thing you're saying about stepping over a threshold and I was thinking about exactly the same thing and you describing the fire and I was thinking about um uh kind of overnight weekend camp that we had for our for our trainee forest school leaders in our woods Mm. and uh, it was really dark and the fire was on and it sort of conversation sort of ebbed away and um I think Lewis and I both told a story and then we said who else wants to just tell a story and you could just feel everyone like tense up and go oh my god Mm -hmm. um and then a couple of people did. And the thing is, everybody has got something worth telling, even if it's just a memory or something that happened to them mm. when they were young, you know, um, or something they've heard secondhand or whatever. And um, and it is just like taking that, yeah, that step forward and going, 
actually it doesn't matter and it's so it's so easy actually to enchant people because it's so rare these days that you're told a story live with mm. a human in the same space as you that um you know and I think that's kind of almost why podcasts have become such a success because you can just kind of plug in and have somebody talk at you whether it's fiction or non-fiction it's such a lovely peaceful and engaging state of mind to be in and I think we really miss that with the kind of hecticness of life um so yeah it's one of those things you just got to do it and people will love it even if you think it's rubbish they'll still be like you know even if you mess up you can and I think Lewis and I we've spoken about that haven't we where you've you've, said the other day like if you're telling a story and then you miss out some key part of information that you need for a callback later on and they're saying oh no you know I forgot to mention the thing and um and even if you do that and you break the fourth wall you go oh hang on a minute I forgot to mention that actually earlier he saw the cat and the cat came back and you know and people just laugh and they love it and no one goes oh my god I can't believe you mucked that up yeah god what a rubbish story they just go with it and it's cool and it's almost like nice because they realize you are human and it isn't some rehearsed polished performance that they need to be kind of scared of or in awe of Mm. you're just you telling a story and that's Mm a gift isn't it to them yeah it is really is a gift and I think especially like as we're talking now at Christmas time and there's so much focus on the material world yeah there is so much treasure in a story and we uh, we forget the gift of what's carried in someone's voice because that that story just carries can carry so much magic and so much information um do you ever come upon that book kitchen table wisdom Um, no um yeah again just a collection of stories of gentleness um from different families around the world just to help each other with um different problems i suppose yeah i've just rather nice i was actually going to ask you chris about um where you source your stories from oh sorry yeah where I source my stories from yeah so you've mentioned a couple um but do you have kind of places like go-to places that you like to use um I guess I I do have a collection of books that I've used through the years um the best thing for me to do would be to I guess share a picture of those at some stage because that shows all the covers of them but unfortunately I'm just sort of thinking in my brain how can can I do that now there it's on my phone (laughs) don't worry don't worry at all I just sort of meant what kinds of what kinds of are you particularly drawn to certain types of story or you mentioned uh, yeah. stories about like uh the sort of ecological aspect to them or uh, um really ancientness or are, are you very sort of do you pick very broadly from your sources oh uh, I would say I probably do uh, pick from stories which are folk tales from around the world because I really like The reason I like that is because I think in Britain and in the way that I grew up, it was very limited in terms of the sort of view which I had on the world, because it came mostly from a sort of of Christian perspective, I suppose. There weren't many um, stories from other cultures, other other religions, etc. So... I tend, I like to pick things from, yeah, you know, a great as diverse as possible. And so, and as I lived in Africa for a while, and I lived in Singapore for a bit, and Australia, mm-hmm. um, I didn't tend to go to those kind of places. But so, 
I didn't actually go there. I just looked for the stories in the books that come from different places. But I think these are generally creation myths and what I would call sustainability folk tales, um, because, yeah, as an environmental activist, as somebody called me, um, I like there to be an environmental message in all the stories of some sort. And whether that is um, yeah, we are part of the land or that, that gives gives the point that um, other creatures are important in, and have an equal voice to humans or, you know, those kind of messages that kind of come through. Uh, then so that's important. I, I also find stories that are often for me related to a musical instrument so because I use music a lot as the threshold into a story then I quite like having um, instruments that relate to the story so like one of the stories that I tell which is um, Gecko and the Fireflies which I think came from a book of um Earth Care Tales by Margaret Reed MacDonald, who's a he's an excellent storyteller in um, in America. The way that she writes books and writes out the stories makes them really easy to retell. Um, and so that story always goes with a sort of a jaw harp that comes from. Okay, I think it comes from Vietnam, but it's the story comes from Vietnam or Indonesia or, you know, somewhere around there. Um, so, yeah, I guess I saw, they often, there has to be this kind of combination in a way between the music and the storytelling. It just helps, one helps carry the other, if that makes sense. Um, I would love to be more of a person that shares stories, which I think are equally important about modern um like heroes i suppose and role models is within the environmental movement or so yeah just young warriors to be able to tell those kind of stories that involve people like that and what they've done mm. um and yeah so that's more that's on my wish list i suppose i would like to be able to find a way to tell those kind of stories to people in my forest school settings or you know the family camps that I run just to give people the um well it's like a guiding light isn't it to have yeah. something like that for people to move towards or at least be inspired by because I think we really need those kind of stories as well as the old ones mm. yeah I think there's something in there about like the I think similar to you, I, I'm drawn to like the oldest stories I can find. The older it is, the more intriguing I find it. But also I think partly for me, that comes with like, there's less ownership of it. So when it's like a book that was published 20 years ago, mm. someone might have a really distinct memory of like, these are the, you know, it was written with these particular like cadence or with these, whereas if it's so old, I'm like, do you know what? This is Hercules, right? If I change a bit, I've changed a bit. Fine. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, but also they're kind of impressionist in terms of their message. They're not like on the nose. This is a story about you and your life. It's like broad strokes, heroes, monsters. Be, and then that can, I think, be one of the challenges when I, because similarly looking at like modern day stuff or things closer to now, 
it's much harder to tell the story of like, I don't know, Dave and the legislation and the petition that got through, you know, gov.org isn't as good as like, hey, there was a fucking thing with five heads and he went and chopped them all off. (laughs) So like maybe it's about getting our impressionist brushes out and going, Mm. okay, how can we take something modern and like impressionize it? Maybe Mm. you tell one and then immediately the other without any comment. Mm. What about that? What about you tell the story about the Hydra and then you just pause a bit and then you start talking about, yeah, I don't know. A good idea. Mm. I, don't, I was thinking without exactly. comment, and then let and just and then just listen to the conversation that happens afterwards, where everyone goes, yeah. "What? Oh, oh my god, that's kind of like, oh, do you know what I mean? Maybe mm. there wouldn't be any. Maybe there wouldn't be any link. But. Yeah, it might be like, oh, can we have another story, please? Yeah. <laughs> I think but, that is one of the the summer things, though. Is like particularly being able to tell two stories back to back is a summer thing depending on how long they are, but also yeah. that like sit and discuss thing. So I don't know how you find this, Chris, but, but for, for me, as soon as a, a story finishes in the winter, I mm-hmm. almost immediately go, right, you've been sat still too long. Let's go, let's go. Come on, let's move. Let's move. Like mm-hmm. there's that element to it rather than like in the summer, you can kind of let things like steep. You yeah. can just sort of finish it and go, ah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so like, true. Whether we need different stories or like that's... <sighs> I, I I'm not a huge fan of them, but they're particularly good in like early years of like action stories. Yeah. And they're like where you go, oh, and they were climbing the rigging plumplet. And you can get, particularly in the winter, you can get yep. children who n- normally would turn their nose up. I'm a bit too cool for this. This is not my jam. Just through the will of like, you need to keep moving. We're gonna like, or we do um very occasionally, but it's really cold, we do stories on the run. Yeah. So run to a spot, tell a minute, two minutes, and then link the tra- whatever transition we're doing is also the transition in the story and go, we're running over here. And just like, it's, oh, a, it's yeah. the other yeah. end of that spectrum to like sit and mellow and let me hear the story of the- you just go a bit like, I've had too much caffeine. Fucking yeah. run with me. <laughs> we're all yeah. going to be Icarus now and jump off the hill. Oh, that is good. Icarus, my children, all the children flapping their wings up the hill as Icarus. And yeah. then when you get to the top and they go, and then he fell and they all go, yes, and roll back down the hill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then they look at me a bit confused when I go, and he drowned. And they go, that's, <laughs> no, but that's not, I go, yeah, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. End of the story. End of the story, yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything that what you find works in the winter for that, like, warmth thing? So obviously we want to be near a fire is one way, but do you have anything else? Um, you know, I tend to do a lot less storytelling in the winter. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've just done a whole yeah, two weeks of storytelling in, in the my local school um of sort of christmas wintry tales and so yeah that was done in a a sort of an hour slots and thankfully it wasn't too cold but what i was doing in between each story was getting up doing a little bit of movement sitting back down again um and getting as much participation as possible within the stories as well um and yeah i remember when we were talking about this possible podcast talks like oh, what do you do in the winter to be able to keep people's attention and things and I find just keeping the wind out is quite an important oh, yeah. thing um if it's a really windy day 
um, you get cold so quickly. Um, and yeah, so, and if it is really windy, people are a bit mad and I, I or children can go a bit mad. Yeah. Uh, so I tend, you know, just forget it on windy days. Oh, yeah. um, but I was just thinking of a particular story. Can I tell you a, a, a short story? Yeah, um, please. Which we quite like. Um, and this is a story that comes from Duncan Williamson. Uh, he was a storyteller up in Scotland, who's a traveller, and kept you know, loads of stories. Um, and this was the, the rabbit's tale. Have you heard that one? No. Uh, so you, oh, here we go. We have to just join in and like, get everybody to join in with a drumming thing, or they can do it with their feet on the ground. Um, so it goes um, hoppity, hoppity, hop. Can you do that? Hoppity, hoppity, hop. You don't have to do it on your chest. You can do it on your knees, whatever it is. Um, I'll teach it the whole thing to you because I'm sure you'll get it. It goes hoppity, hoppity, hop, hoppity, hoppity, hop, hoppity, 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 hop. You got that? Yeah. Yeah. You ready? Let's do it together. That's going to be a nightmare to edit, Chris. I really appreciate us all doing that at different speeds. Yeah. With Zoom, you can almost do it, but you can't, can you? Anyway, so that, I'll, I'll just tell the story and then people will know that on that bit, you can get people to join in. Yeah. So uh, here we go. One day, Rabbit was out looking for her friends and she hopped up to her friends who were all having a chat. Hoppity, hoppity, hop. Hoppity, hoppity, hop. Hoppity, 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 hop. Rabbit in those days had a beautiful, big, fluffy tail. It was bigger and fluffier than a fox's or a squirrel's. And she had tiny little ears as well. And she hopped up to them and she wrapped her tail all the way around her head. It was a winter's day. And she said, oh, don't you guys wish you had a big, fluffy tail just like mine? Isn't my tail nice? I just love it where you can it helps keep your ears warm. And the animals went, yeah, oh, nice to see you, Rabbit. Yeah, thanks for hopping by. Would you like to stay and play? We're just trying to decide what game we're going to play. And she said, oh, no, I, I'm actually quite hungry. I need to go off and find some things to eat. Uh, bye. Uh, hoppity, hoppity, hop. Hoppity, hoppity, hop. Hoppity, 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 hop. The animals chatted for a little while because they wished Rabbit would come and stay and play with her. And they wished she would stop talking about her big fluffy tail all the time. It seemed to be that that was all that she would talk about. When uh, Fox came up and said, what are you guys doing? And the animals said, oh, we were just wondering how we could get Rabbit to stay and play with us. Um, But she always hops off and just talks about her tail all the time. What do you think? And the fox said, mm, yeah, there's a few things I'd like to do with Rabbit if I could get hold of her, <laughs> licking his lips. But uh, let me think about it for a couple of days. Well, a couple of days later, Fox was down by the river very early in the morning. He'd been waiting in the snow and the, and the fisherman from the village had come up and was fishing in a hole in the ice on the river. The fisherman caught a few fish, put them in his basket, put his basket on top of his shoulder and was just walking down the hill when a fish flopped out into the snow. And the fox thought, ah, fantastic, that's breakfast. And when the the person had walked down the hill, the fox went over and looked at the fish and thought, right, which bit am I going to bite into? And at this point, I usually ask the audience which bit they would bite into first. Would you kind of lick out the eye and 
eat, crunch off the head or would you bite into the middle or would you kind of nibble on the tail? And of course, you know, everybody's got different opinions. But anyway, whilst, whilst the fox was looking at the fish, who should have hop up but rabbit? Hoppity, hoppity, hop. Hoppity, hoppity, hop. Hoppity, 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 hop. Rabbit said, oh, fox, nice to see you. I see you've got a fish. I like fish. I think I like fish. Can I try some of your fish, please? I'm very hungry. And then fox had an idea. I don't know where ideas come from. Do you know where ideas come from? They somehow get in your brain, don't they? But anyway, he was just looking at Rabbit's big fluffy tail when an idea came to him. He said, well, Rabbit, I'm not going to share my fish because it's a bit small and there's only enough for one person, but I can teach you how to fish and then you can get your own fish and you can catch as many as you like. Oh, fantastic, said Rabbit. And you'll do really well, said Fox, because your tail is even bigger and fluffier than mine. This is what I do. When the fisherman's gone, or when the fish, or when, sorry, when the river is going to get cold at night, what I do is I come down to the river here and I put my tail into the water. And you know that little white tip that I've got to my tail? I just twitch it all the way through the night in underwater. And in the morning, there's a fish on it. And I just whip out my tail the fish lands in the snow like it has done just now and i've caught a fish you can do it yourself oh fantastic said rabbit that's so cool i will try that tonight and off she goes hoppity hoppity hop hoppity hoppity hop hoppity 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 hop and that night was a beautiful night you can go into the stars and all of this kind of stuff being very very beautiful as the stars were coming out rabbit decides to go back down to the river and have a go at fishing so she goes back to the river, pops her tail in and leaves it twitching all night long. Well, in the middle of the night, she tries. And what, what I normally do is that also when I'm telling the story is that I kind of mime and try and um, enact the, the, uh, the rabbit getting into the water and remember myself what it's like getting into freezing cold winter in the wind, uh, water in the winter. And um, yeah, to try and get that atmosphere coming across. And then Rabbit falls asleep. And after she does, then Jack Frost skips down out of the mountain. And that's wherever Jack Frost goes, you know, icicles spread. And of course, as Jack Frost goes down past Rabbit, the water freezes completely. And off he goes down to the village. And in the morning, Rabbit wakes up and her tail is feels a bit heavy so she's oh i've caught a fish i've caught a fish how exciting i've caught a fish and she tries to pull her tail but she can't because it's stuck in the ice and it's more like oh no I've, my tail is stuck somebody help somebody help and the heron walks up the river and says hey rabbit what's up with you and uh rabbit says oh my tail's stuck in the ice but i've caught fish i'll share it with you and um can you help pull me out of the of the ice so the heron comes up and says, hey, I don't know where to hold you, but I'll grab you by your ears. Hang on. So he puts his beak on the ears and he pulls and there's this kind of <coughs> sound as the ear, the little stubby little ears stretch. <coughs> Keeps on pulling until eventually with a snap, the two of them tumble into the snow. And Rabbit says, oh, fantastic. Where's the fish? Where's the fish? Oh, no, where's my tail? My tail's vanished. Because all that was left was a stumpy little tail. So she goes over to look into the river and there 
She can see her tail under the water with no fish and big, long, floppy ears. And with that, she felt so embarrassed that she hopped off. Hoppity, hoppity, hop. Hoppity, hoppity, hop. Hoppity, 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 hop. And from that day onwards, rabbits are still embarrassed about their tails. And what happens when you go up to a rabbit? Normally, they just hop off. And all you get to see is their little stumpy ears and their tails. And that is the story of The Rabbit's Tail by Duncan Williamson. And that, um, hoppity, hoppity, hop. So that's one of the favourite kind of wintry stories I have for um, any time of the winter that's not very Christmassy. But um, that's amazing. And, and it's quite active as well. You can jump, you can go off and do ho- rabbit hopping very shortly afterwards, um, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. What did you get from it as a story? Because different parts of stories mean different things to different people, don't they? Yes, they do. Um, I yeah I like stories about how you know I guess you can call it a kind of creation myth can't you with those kind of stories about like how you like all those Rudyard Kipling ones about how Mm. something became a certain way Mm. Um, and I love the inventiveness of it and and the kind of wonder in terms of maybe that is what happened but if that wasn't what happened then what did happen like how did the animal end up like that you know so I think it makes you question what you would take for granted Mm. Um, that way about characteristics of things for sure mm. oh, I was thinking the same similar thoughts but in like another way because I think there's something about um you know we were talking about like old store old stories being like wisdom that's like passed on mm. and so there being something innate and primal about like being aware of like physical difference and like this being a thing of like when you see other people you you know if you stripped society out of it you look at certain things or people respond in certain ways to like you know however a, a human looks and like yeah. your brain is in some way like scanning for abnormalities and or yeah. like is this is this person carrying a disease should i mate with them should i do these things and like yeah. a lot of the like how the something got the something stories they've got this air of like um someone's physical characteristics are like an output of their past in like discretions you know yeah. like the elephant that gets like beaten so hard that its nose comes out or like it sort of in some ways can reinforce this idea that like someone's physical characteristics are a result of their pre yeah. they're like that's their story there must be a reason that person has mm. a has a nose like this or there must be a reason that do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, an inter- yeah, interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's so true. But then it could be, it, you could look at it the other way, couldn't you? And go like, oh, they're not like that because they've had this story happen and whatever else. You know? It was, um, it did make me laugh because when you did the Heron's voice, have you listened to any of the um, recordings, the audiobooks of like Stephen Fry's done Mythos and Heroes and all the ancient Greek ones? I, I haven't let, listened to his stories. No, they are incredible. They are incredible because it's the full like Greek myth collection, mm. and everyone in them is from the British Isles. So like King Eurydice is from Belfast, and Hercules mm. is Scouse, and like they're clearly those are the accents Stephen Fry can do, and he just went like, "That's what I'm doing. I'm not doing Greek accents because I'm not doing that." Yeah, um, cool. Yeah. 
good recommendation i should have a listen oh definitely mm. it's also nice as well to hear as you you kind of mentioned that that is not a christmassy story mm. um because that's another thing isn't it that we can get kind of uh you know as as we all know you think that you're done with winter at christmas or my brain does anyway i go christmas done on to mm. spring january wait a minute um yeah. and uh and then there's like two or three months of like oh actually this is probably when it's going to snow or actually this is and like having those winter stories, mm. you know, do you find it's useful to have a bank, I guess, of non-Christmas uh, or non-solstice stories for yeah. January, February, I guess? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's really important. And uh, I, I can think of well, one of my favourite storytellers when you're again, when you're talking about where do I get these stories from? Uh, one of the stories that I tell is the evergreens, which is a story about how uh, evergreen trees came to keep their leaves through winter. Um, but it's also very much a story about remembering to respect and care for travellers. Um, yeah, and it's just very much that sort of uh, kind of Muslim thing, I suppose, and not even Muslim, it's just kind of, I think it's around the world. If, you, if a traveller knocks on your door in need, you let them in and you give them water and you feed them and you know it's a fellow it, these are this is your brother or your sister and you know you welcome them and you know res- respect their needs or care for them as much as you can um and so uh, yeah, that story was i heard from a storyteller called odds bodkin who's a storyteller in the states um and he again he uses lots of voices and you know, plays musical instruments but very sort of engaging stories so he has quite a good few sort of stories which are are not they're wintry stories i suppose mm. um i and the other thing i was going to say that came to mind about the wintry stories is that Yes, the story that winter, I think, is the time for remembering lots of the stories that help us sort of be human and remember where we came from. Because, yes, the Christian myth is one or Christian story is one, but there are loads of there are loads of other stories, too. Um, And I really there's a story I like, which is based on winter. I call it Grandfather Rock. I'm just trying to remember which nation of people it came from uh, in North America. Um, And I can't right now. It's really embarrassing, but it should be in my brain. But but the basic premise of the story is that rocks and all the stories in the world come from rocks. And because without rocks, there would be no soil. Without soil, there would be no, you know, creatures green greens or whatever then there would be any creatures there would be no humans etc um and i really love that story because it's set in winter and it's about a little a young character who goes out and discovers grandfather rock and grandfather rock tells this person a story a day and each day the, the person goes back to the tribe um and into their longhouse and tells them a story at night and they remember um or they they see the magic in stories and how with when you're listening to a story you're not necessarily in your body all the time you kind of might forget your aches and pains you're a bit more in your brain or in your imagination and that imagination if it is connected to 
the natural world, it does that sort of quantum physics thing of taking you way out of your body into a place of imagination, which can stretch across the universe. And that those stories, those winter stories that happen in the long nights when your imagination is more in fire than you're firing off than in stories in the daytime when you can actually see things. Um, yeah, I think it's really important to have those wintry stories that you can tell that connect you to different times of the year and different places. And they don't have to be just about winter. Um, it's it's the winter is a kind of in a way of melting pot of potentiality for the next year. Um, so I think you can put all kinds of stories in the winter. They don't just have to be wintry stories. It's often a time of feeling quite humble, isn't it? Like, I think one of the themes across is like winter mm. humbles us mm -hmm. across the kind of season. Um, yeah. Well, it's recent, isn't it, that we haven't lost a lot of our loved ones during winter. It's only within the last, mm. you know, couple of hundred years that winter is a time where it's like, oh, it's winter now. Whereas really not very long ago, that yeah. is a time where you need to be ready to say goodbye to a significant number of the people that you know, mm -hmm. as well as the nature that's around you, you know, and, and you hope that it will come back. But for a lot of the creatures and the people that you know, they aren't going to come back. And so it's that time to be reflective and accepting and, and yeah, humble and, uh, and accepting of change and maybe yeah as you say live in your imagination and your brain a bit more and it's a bit more of a sacred time then with yeah. that kind of connection with death I think and I yeah I loved what you're saying Chris about um and just uh, there's a lot less stimulation as well in winter in terms of there's a lot less daylight there's a lot less um stimulation in terms of leaves if you're outdoors fluttering or colors and mm. and therefore with maybe a reduced visual and maybe auditory um stimulus then you have more space within you to focus either internally or off into other magical worlds or the past or across mm -hmm. the world, you know, and that's um, something I'd not really thought about before, but as you were describing it, I was like, well, yeah, of course, that makes complete sense. As long as you can keep the wind out, as you were saying earlier, <laughs> long enough to be able to, you know, because trying to sit still in the wind and listen and try and engage your imagination is impossible. You've got too mm -hmm. much going on, haven't you? Because mm -hmm. it's... Um, but yeah, in your in your dark cave, or as 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 much of a cave as we can make in the woods at Forest Floor. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much potential there for real stories that make a huge have a really profound impact upon people, mm. which is mm. true. And yeah. sometimes they're not always like again, it's that like performance thing versus, um, you know, just it being part of the flow. And Gemma, you and I, I think in the last year, eighteen months, have really moved to like occasionally stories come out with a group of three children while there's some whittling going on and yeah. the rest of the group is off doing something else or actually it just comes up while you're sat in the treehouse you're playing hide and seek and while you're having that quiet moment you just kind of go oh there's a story here and I'm gonna mm -hmm. it's almost like it's a bit of an out of body experience for me I sometimes just kind of it's a bit like feeling a burp is coming you know that <laughs> bit before you not <laughs> In that it's not always socially acceptable, but you just go, well, it's coming, isn't it? There's, mm. a, there's a story coming now, and I'm very sorry, everyone, but there's a story coming. But no, that's very true. And it, I think maybe the more used to stepping over the threshold and just going for it and telling a story, and the more stories you say out loud to people, um, 
then you've obviously got more of a catalogue in your brain and you're more used to doing it. So I think those times when someone's whittling or whatever, something must remind you of something, something sparks, something that you see or hear or something someone says goes, oh, that reminds me of a story. Well, I'm just going to tell you now. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up telling a Christmas carol while several people were whittling last winter yeah. and I hadn't prepared it or prepared it or thought I was going to tell it, but someone said something um and um you should have seen what they willed yeah. by the end it's an 800 page book <laughs> they've done everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was yeah i sort of surprised myself and they were like right okay yeah interesting have you chris had the experience uh just before we go i want to ask you one more thing which is that so Gemma and i've done storytelling at a few overnight camps now and mm. we've both noted the difference that happens once you dip out of so there's that amount of like twilight duskiness where there's a fire and you can see everyone around you mm-hmm. and then the moment that that drops to you can see the fire and you have no idea who is round the fire so you're not getting that storyteller thing of like I'm not getting anyone's body language I'm not getting anyone's facial cues telling a story to complete darkness I was wondering if you've had that experience in the winter and how you found that oh that's a good question I don't think I have in the winter either um I know what you mean by being in in that storytelling space around the fire late at night and you can't really see people very well but no I don't think I have actually um i'm trying to think of the last time i told stories in the dark as well i I know there's been a few occasions when that's really quite fun to just to tell to tell a story in the dark but i think it's um what it has reminded me of was those times kind of early 20s i suppose um where i would sometimes just I sometimes go up into Dartmoor with a, a friend of mine and we would sit around the fire, but it would be really late. And uh, it was always really small fires because I was never into big fires up on, on Dartmoor because, you know, I don't want to use loads of wood. Um, and we would we would sit there and just often tell a story to each other. We just have this imaginative story going along of somebody going on a journey and we would tell you know, like a couple of minutes of the story each and then we'd swap and backwards and forwards between the two of us. And it was, yeah, almost always pretty dark. Um, and that was such a lovely, lovely thing to do because we were just in our, each other's imaginations was, um, and such a shared kind of, in a way, a group experience. And I think, you know, that's one of the really important parts of storytelling is not only is it, um, to do with messages that you might be sharing through the stories, or maybe it, you want to tell a story because it leads into a, another particular activity. Um, but there's that thing of it being a group experience and that I don't know actually what it does in people's brains, but I guess it must form similar connections similar neuro synaptic you know i don't know what the neuroscience is but that's a that's a really important part of storytelling isn't it the sort of creating the shared experience something's just clicked in my head something's just clicked and i've realized that all of the bad storytellers i've not bad all of the like storytellers i've seen that haven't connected with me Mm. it's it's been a like 
manipulative story. When you said it's not to do with leading to an activity, I just realized that all the story, if I hear a story and someone's telling me it because they're trying to, they're going to lump on a moral at the end or because they're <laughs> yeah. going to go, and now we're going to go play this game. Mm-hmm. That lands differently to here is a gift of a story. And I don't know if this is going to land or like, I don't know what you'll get from it. It's just a thing and an experience. Mm. And that's it's just not loaded, is it? It's just, as you say, it's um, an open hearted gift in the moment. Um, compared to as like a manipulative story there's 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 the dark side of the story of storytelling isn't it it's like yeah but that is i mean we started with how do you define what forest school is and i don't think there's a better definition of what i think forest school is than here is a thing i'm not sure what you're going to do with it but i have you know i've got some ideas of where you might take it but you know and that's kind of the seed of forest school i think mm. that's quite deep nice connection to the beginning what were you going to say Gemma? i saw you sort of um i was going to say something about how uh thinking about connecting you talking about connecting on a synaptic level with another or with a community through storytelling and you're living that shared imaginative experience reminded me a lot of religion um and that maybe that's the kind of you know and that religions around the world are based around stories so often that mm. you're sharing that imaginary world together as part of your worship, maybe. Yeah. I thought there yeah. was something in there about, um, yeah, sharing that that place. Um, but yeah. anyway, it's yeah. like a, it's a shared experience, isn't it? Yeah. In the same way that going on a walk together is a shared experience, or actually, it's like a a distilled version of actually having gone on an adventure with everyone in your congregation mosque whatever it is Mm. to go through it to go through a story together Mm. is a similar thing of like oh we've all got this in our shared knowledge and our shared culture yeah i guess does that mean then that you know here we go come on guys it's pretty late let's get into this guys (laughs) oh yeah all right get the incense a a rule book of you know of common stories in um, forest school would that make a way of kind of reuniting and bringing us together as my, through the stories. Ruin my manifesto. That's my, my cultural yeah. manifesto for when I take over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? But I think that can happen if you just have a certain amount of stories, then it, it's quite limiting. So I think having a, a broad. Mm, range of stories to choose from is really important or that's being told for kids to hear lots of different stories grown-ups to hear different kinds of stories is really important isn't it i just realized i think either the first or one of the first stories i ever told as a forest school leader was from your book i love my world i think it was the mama africa story oh yeah (laughs) my introduction sessions my six Mm. i I told that story um which kind of leads us on to kind of talking about where people can find out more about your work because we've, oh. we've had an amazing conversation with you but we've you know as it's getting late we don't want to take any yeah. more but um so you've obviously got i love my world and that's got stories and other things within it but mm. where else can people find out about your work and come on courses and stuff with you the best place to look for my resources and some of my courses, uh, including the Storytellers Playbook, is at natureconnection.co.uk. 
the storyteller's playbook is designed as an introductory storytelling course to help people find their storyteller's voice uh, yes it does come from me so it's got my way of sort of doing storytelling which is just one of the ways of doing storytelling but it is aimed at people like teachers and forest school leaders and outdoor educators who want to engage people in stories that relate to the natural world um and yeah so i guess there's that there's facebook is a place where i tend to put stories and resources and things i think it's called chris holland's storytelling and nature connection i can't very long but it's yeah. really long it's just uh anyway but if you look at it is at nature connection that's it looking for it is the at nature connection on facebook um but that's quite a good group to or page to look at anyway for resources and things that i share on there um I think that's kind of it, really. Those are the two main places to find me. Yeah. No, that's we'll put great. A link on the uh, podcast notes as well to those. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm putting stuff more on YouTube now. I, I haven't really been bothered, but now that I've got a, a slightly faster commu- a computer, <laughs> I'm joining everybody in the in the wor- in the main world of having you know things that can convert to quickly. Then I'm going to put more up on YouTube too. That's That's exciting. I really enjoy your um, stories that you upload. I think it probably was on Facebook. I saw one recently that you did about the the two monks traveling and helping the young woman. Yeah, I really loved that. It was so short um, and easy to, you know, digest. Mm. So profound and so good. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Before, before, thank you. Um, Before we go, I'd love to hear in terms of where are you guys at in your next steps in your storytelling journey where would you like to go because i i know from my point of view i would like to learn more about i'm learning should i say i am learning more about therapeutic storytelling and using stories in particular particular stories for particular occasions with particular children to help with what might we might say is challenging behavior that, and, and we know underneath the challenging behavior, it's either, you know, there's maybe the child has gone through or the adult has gone through trauma or, you know, some kind of experience that, um, well, you know, it's just about understanding people's needs, really, and that a story can speak to those needs. Um, and yeah, that, that going back to that thing of a gift that I can do give as a storyteller is to share relevant stories. Um, that can be healing in some way and for sort of individual purpose so that that's kind of where i want to go with my storytelling is just have a greater bank of those Mm. but um what about you guys i was just going to say have you read um therapeutic storytelling by susan perro yes do you like i do like it and i went on one of her workshops and um i i really I loved loved her vibe actually, and her way of um, what's the word giving you. Gave, she gave us a sort of method, like an ingredients of how you can create a recipe of um, yeah, her recipe for story making. Basically, it was really useful. Good storybook. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. What about you? What's your um, 
I, I am very interested. I'm reading, I cannot remember the author's name, but I've been reading for a while, Primitive Mythology, which is mm-hmm. like a anthropological look at, um, it's very, very like dry and heavy and, um, you know, niche, but um, it's looking at those like uh, cultural links, you know, so what themes exist around the world or what themes exist um you know just finding really common stuff and that I find really interesting to be able because then I think I would like you were saying about recipes I'd be able to sort of see where the recipes are in those ancient stories that might seem because sometimes Gemma and I talk about bringing stories from other cultures and going uh, there's this cultural thing in China about crows and we don't get it here. So there's a whole bit of the story yeah. that's not quite landing or, mm-hmm. um, you know, so like peeling stuff like that back and going, Oh, what can I find that just lands with everyone? Yeah. So that when I'm telling a story, I know where to lean in and where to pull back and where to, that's what I'm finding quite interesting at the mm. moment. Yeah. Nice one. It's a, yeah. very, it's a very deep book. It's talking yeah. about oh, it's immense. It's talking about uh, all of the um, all religions that basically get cleansed with water, mm-hmm. and and that coming from like when you're born and the waters break, and that our first experiences are coming out of water and being slightly breathless, and yeah. so culturally that exists. And then all of the like water gods are mostly female around the world, uh-huh. and yeah. So it then oh anyway. I could yeah, I'd get sucked into it. Um, but that's great. Thank you so much for your time this evening. <laughs> that's a pleasure. That was just such a juicy, kind of, oh my God, we just talked loads more about just that, couldn't we? But anyway, there we go. We're going to have to stop somewhere. Another time. It's yeah. always a joy when we get to see you and get to chat. Well, likewise. I, I, love, the, I love the way that you guys kind of bounce off each other and the, the only the few times that we've, had chats they've just been for me really interesting and enjoyable so thank you so much for having me along thank Mm. you and we'll see you again hopefully not too long yeah i hope so yeah 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 stay well and enjoy telling stories and have a lovely christmasy new year time